You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jesse Rosette, which is from our sermon series, The Bible Tells Me So. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Morning, Creekside. How are we doing today? It's a good day. It's beautiful out and it's fairly warm, which I'm excited to get back to. I moved here from Oregon to escape the cold, but it's been colder than I would have thought California could be. Anyways, welcome everybody to week two of 40 Days in the Word. I want to welcome those not only here on campus, but also the people that we have joining us online. Could we let them know that we're happy that they're here this morning? Thank you for joining us. As well, of course, thank all of you for being here. I'm Pastor Jesse, so happy to be here with you this morning. So, this Sunday we're going to look at the theme of how the Bible changes us and the changes that it makes inside of our lives. The Bible, if you you haven't heard yet, is unlike any other book. That's why we call it the Holy Bible. Holy means uh, set apart, other. And there are a lot of good books in the world, right? I I didn't venture to say that there's a lot of great books in the world. Uh, In fact, just name some. What are some books that you would consider to be great books that we have, other than the Bible, of course? What What are some? Could to kill a mockingbird? That's the right one. I heard one over here. What? Say it again. Atlas Shrugged. That is a good one. Okay. What about uh, Lord of the Rings? Anybody? That's a personal favorite of uh, a personal favorite series of mine. Yeah, I see Bree's hand. I see you guys. So reading was my favorite thing to do as a kid. Uh, I was homeschooled, so not a lot else to do. Uh, but, but but genuinely, I I loved reading. It was the thing that I looked most forward to. Uh, if we were somewhere, I just couldn't wait to get home to find my book to go sit down and to read. Uh, my favorite kind of books. They were all the kind of classic, the fantasy, the the adventure, uh, danger, action, maybe just a hint of romance. That wasn't something I talked about with my friends, though, because they'd make fun of me. So, you know, in in talking with them, it'd be like, yeah, you know, swords and blood and monsters, and they kiss at the end. But that was more more just for me and my sisters. We talk about them. We shared books a lot, actually. Uh, There was actually, there was a sequel book made to the series that I grew up reading, and I was so excited about it. I put it on my uh, Christmas wish list, uh, amongst a few other books, and uh, Pastor George was actually my secret Santa this year, and he'd gotten me a couple of those books, which is super cool of him, and I opened it up, and I'm going, oh, wow, thanks, and I think he said something along the lines of, enjoy your nerd books, um, to which I said, thank you, I will, I asked for them, and I don't care, these are so great, genuinely a very thoughtful gift, he just likes to be funny, I think, uh, just kidding, thank you, Pastor George, but reality is, there are, there are a lot of good books out there, But this book is unlike any other book. It has a power, a supernatural power that no other book has to change lives. The reason it has the power to change lives is because it is the Word of God. So last week we looked at seven reasons we can know for certain that it's God's Word, the reasons that we believe it, that we stand upon it, that we call it the authority for our lives. And that's that it's not just a human book not a fairy tale, or even for that matter, it's not just a history of Israel. It is God-breathed. It is the Word of God. The Word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. Most powerful thing in the universe. In fact, the Bible says the entire universe was created by the Word of God, and that God spoke it into existence. And over and over again, we see that God speaks and it happens. God speaks and it happens. And for thousands of years, scientists believed uh, that the universe was infinite, 
right? That it had that it had no end and that it had no beginning. That it just was. And we know now that that's not true. Uh, people like Einstein and Stephen Hawking and many other scientists, they've proven what we now widely accept, which is that the universe had a definite beginning and will have a definite end. It's what people call uh, the Big Bang, right? You might have heard it called that way, which is, which is fine with me, because if there's a Big Bang, then there's someone who lit the fuse, right? There's somebody else who uh, be- began that. I actually, I had a, I had a philosophy professor in, in college uh, and I, I, it probably wasn't original to him, but he described God as the unmoved first mover, which I think just sounds super cool. He was the one who was never set in motion, but is the one who set all in motion. The Bible says this in, in Psalm 33, 6, that the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed, and the, he breathed the word and all the stars were born. So if you want to call that a big bang, that's fine with me, but I'm going to tell you that behind that bang was the word of God, because I believe it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that it was just an accident, or that something comes out of nothing, or that this all just happened by chance. So God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, and there was life. And we also see, if you read further in, into the New Testament, when Jesus was walking on the planet 2,000 years ago, he brought people back to life simply by his word. And these were widely seen miracles, right? We talked about the way that the Bible has, has witnesses. And they, they weren't just like two or three witnesses, though that would be good, but four, five hundred people. Even at times, there were what the Bible calls multitudes, which would have been thousands of people that would have seen Jesus speak and they would have seen the impossible happen. This is the power of God's word. So I don't have a power like that. You don't have a power like that. That's because we're not God. But the power of God's word is that God can create things and bring them into existence. And that is enormous and incredible power. The Bible says this in John 6, 63, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, Jesus says, when, when I talk, it's not just words. We're talking about spiritual power. We're talking about spiritual life, things that can transform society, transform uh, culture, transform people. They can do the impossible. Hebrews 4.12 says it like this, the word of God is living and active. And I want to stop right there for a second. The word living there, in the Greek translation, it's the word zao, which we get the word zoo from, or zoology, which means to live. It means life. And then the word of God is active. And that Greek word there is energos, which is the word we get for energy. It has energy. It has power. It has this potential to do something incredible. The word of God is alive and active. We'll continue. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So think of it like this. It would be the sharpest, most skilled surgeon's scalpel. All right, the word of God has the ability to cut right to the heart of the issue with absolute precision. It can point out what's wrong in my life what needs to be corrected, what I need. It's not like a skill saw, it's not a chop saw, it's not a chainsaw, it is like a scalpel. It can do the fine work that needs to be done in my life, and it is exactly what I need. So what, what is it that I need? 
I'll venture to say that it's the same thing that, that we all need, and that's change. We need change in our life. The way that we are is not perfect. We've got issues. We've got sin. We've got things in our lives that should not be there. There's things in, in your life that you don't like, right, that you don't want. There are things that you know need changing in your life, and you may have even tried to change them, but they haven't changed. D.L. Moody, who was a very famous pastor in Chicago about 100 years ago, he said the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. Not for knowledge, but for our lives. So what I, want us to do to, to, what I want us to do today is look at some specific ways that God wants to change your life with his word. Because God wants to bring change, and God says if you'll invest in the word, your life will change. So, how does God's living word change me? Well, the first thing here is that God's word changes me as it recreates my life. God's word changes me as it recreates my life. So, so what does that mean? It means that when my life is falling apart, that when I'm at the end of my rope, when I've got nowhere to go, he recreates my life. A clean slate, a fresh start, an, a, a new beginning, born again. And it is that dramatic, right? I'm not just trying to hype this up. This is an incredible, beautiful, dramatic change. Born again, in simple terms, it just means you get a whole new life. You don't turn over a new leaf. You get a whole new life. You get to start over. What an incredible opportunity. The Bible says in James 1.18 that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And notice, the spiritual birth, the salvation, it comes through the word of truth. Without the word of God, you couldn't be saved. I couldn't be saved. We wouldn't know any of the things that we need to know in order to get to know God without his word. It would be so much harder to understand faith and grace and redemption if we didn't have the story of Jesus. It'd be difficult to, to believe in the Savior if someone just said, hey, Jesus loves you, and that was it. Who is Jesus? What's so important about him? You have to know the story of his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. And God wants to talk to you, right? God is not silent. It's the whole point here. He wants to speak to us. He knows everything about us already, and he wants us to know about him. He gave us this word to communicate and to help us understand and see Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, From a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So it's this book, the Bible, that's going to show you the path to eternal life. It's the one that shows you the way. It's revealed through the word. The Bible is often compared to a seed, and once it takes root in your heart, it begins to sprout and it begins to grow and then it begins to bear fruit. And then you see all these changes for the good in your life. You know, the, the, the fruit that's in your life, it's not actually, it's the, the fruit that you bear, it's not for you, right? An orange tree does not eat its own fruit. The fruit in your life is for people around you, which is just a beautiful thing that God does. The Bible also says it like this. 1 Peter 1.23, you, you have been born, again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring, what? Word of God. 
And so I want, I want you to, to note these two words, living and enduring. Living and enduring. It's alive. Like a seed planted that grows into a mighty tree that never falls, the Word of God is alive, and it grows, and it moves in us, and it changes us. And so the Word of God starts off by recreating my life, but it's got a lot more to do than just that. So the second thing that it does, God's Word changes me as it eradicates my guilt. God's Word changes me as it eradicates my guilt, and this is a big one. I don't have uh, I don't have to have guilt in my life. I don't have to go around with regrets and with, with shame. See, m- most people, they're, they're stuck with, uh, w- with memories, right, from the past that they can't seem to get over. Just the, whatever happened, they're stuck with it, and it keeps them from moving, from moving forwards. Either there's people who've hurt them, and they have resentment towards them, or, or they've hurt others, and they have guilt, or they've just done something, and they can't seem to find the right way to forgive themselves. But did you know, did you know that God doesn't want you to go through life carrying a baggage of guilt? Did you, did you know? Did, did you know that the Bible was given so that you can become guilt-free? Jesus did not come to, get, to condemn the world. Spend some time around here or other faith communities and you'll hear incredible stories from people who are so gracious to share about their past and what they've been through, what they've done, struggles that they've faced, and then how God transformed them. And there's so many scriptures that just go to show us how wonderful our God is and what he does. Scripture after scripture like 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to, to what? And to? From all unrighteousness. That's a deep breath kind of verse. Everybody inhale and exhale. Not only does he forgive, but he washes us clean. That's that new start. Then there are verses like Romans 8.1 that says, There is now no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You mean all the things I've done wrong in my life, God's just, God's not going to punish me for it? He's just going to let it go? Why? Because Jesus already took the punishment on the cross. No condemnation. Did, did you know that God's not out to get you? Did you know that he's out to do the exact opposite? He's out to bring you to himself? To bring you into the family of God? But how would you know if you have not read, if you have not heard? This is such a, these verses, the word of God, it's such a, it's a guilt reliever. It's a shame reducer. It's a a regret eliminator. It's the power of the word of God. So let me show show you one more verse here in this. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water. What does it say? Through Through the word. In that phrase, through the word, what's Paul saying here? When, when I take the word of God and I fill my mind with it, when I put it into my life, it washes. It's, it scrubs clean. It gets rid of the junk and the grime and the dirt, the stuff that wants to cling on, the things that want to become baggage for us. Christ washes us through the word. 
and we are cleansed by the word. The Bible is the story of God redeeming his people, and in doing so, he makes a way for all the world to be saved if they believe. That's what this word is here. So the word of God can recreate my life, and it can eradicate my guilt, and the next thing here is that God's word changes me as it activates my faith. It activates my faith. This is so important because faith gives me confidence, right? Faith, faith can come in a way that it, it is confidence, and for me, this is, this is personal for me. I've struggled with confidence my whole life, right? I, I have these questions. Am, am I good enough? Is, is that too risky? Should I just, should I just do what I've always done? Uh, what do they think of me? Am I smart enough? Am I old enough? But you know what I've come to realize? I think most people are not confident. We all have areas, right? I might be good at this thing, but everything else, zero confidence. Most people are not courageous. They're afraid of failure, af afraid to take risks, afraid to stand out, and they're not walking confidently because they have not come to the Lord with their faith. They have not walked with their faith. And we know faith is word activated. Faith is, is, is scripture activated. The Bible says this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So if you've ever read a verse in the Bible and all of a sudden it just hits you, and you, you realize, as you're, as you're reading, you open it up and you're reading and you realize, I can do this. I, I can do this. God is showing me what, I'm, what, what, I, what I need to do and I'm realizing I can do this. You've just had your faith activated by the word of God. As the truth is revealed to you, you have grabbed hold of it and you realize that you are able to do it. So this is the difference between the Bible and other self-help books. Because self-help books, they'll often tell you some good stuff. Right? You can learn some interesting things. They can tell you the right thing to do, but they just don't give you the power to do it. Right? You, you read a self-help book that says, if you really want to succeed in life, you need to stop worrying. Get rid of anxiety. Like, that's cool. I agree with that. Uh, get rid of your bad habits. Of course, that's a great thing too. Uh, it, it'll tell you the right things to do, and, and they're, they're right about a number of these things, but they won't really help you stop. Or, or start, depending on what you're trying to do. You can't kick that habit. You can't stop worrying. You can't seem to get over whatever it is. You, they don't have the power because those books aren't alive. And we don't have the power because we are not God. Uh, it, it'll, it'll, the power of God's word not only tells you what to do, but it gives you the power to do it, and it increases your faith. When you read all the promises in the Bible where God says, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, I will come alongside you, and I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. That increases my expectation of who God is and who he's called me to be, it, it, what he's called me to do. It gives me confidence, especially, especially in times of difficult. Like those are the times that you need faith. So often struggle brings us to our knees, worry and fear and panic. But you know what you're supposed to do when you feel like you're going through hell? You keep going. When others can't, we keep going. You don't set up camp. You don't pull over. You keep going. And so our prayer is not, oh God, do something in my life. I need you to just change this thing. Instead it becomes, 
God, would you walk with me through this? Would you take me by the hand and lead me? Would you be what I am confident in? And because of the promises of the Lord, we can expect that from him. When you understand that that this book activates your faith, it won't matter if you feel like it or not, you will read and read and read, and God is faithful to walk with us as we grow in faith and strength and confidence. You'll learn things in those times of difficulty that will prepare you for the seasons, that will prepare you, prepare you to handle enormous levels of stress, right, that would break most people, or learn skills and develop character that you would never have learned if you hadn't gone through that time of difficulty, And because of the word of God, you begin to think, I can do this. My confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in Christ. I can do this because God has promised joy. God has promised peace. God has promised protection. God has promised to come before me and behind me on all sides of me. In Exodus 23, God's talking to a guy named Joshua, Moses' successor. And when Moses died, Joshua was given the task of leading the entire nation of Israel into the promised land. But the problem here was that the land was already occupied by many peoples and tribes. And so it's important to understand that this was not just a simple, this wasn't a simple task, right? This wasn't just A, B, you get, like you show up and the land is yours. Joshua was sent to conquer enemy territories and establish the nation of Israel in the promised land. And certainly there was some fear or apprehension in Joshua, some worry about what was to come. Feelings of, I can't do this. I don't have enough. I'm not adequate enough. I, I only just became the leader of Israel. And we know this because God responds to Joshua, and he gives them this promise. Exodus 23, 29, and 30, God says to Joshua, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. And I love this, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Little by little. The promised land was given to Joshua little by little. And what an incredible encouragement that I don't have to accomplish this all right now. I don't have to do this all this year. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving Jesus Christ and I'll do it on his timetable, right, at his pace, and he can do whatever he wants with my life. If he wants to give it to me this year, he will, and if he wants me to wait, I'll wait, because if I trust that the Lord has what's best in mind, then what's best is going to happen when I trust the Lord, but it's the word of God that activates my faith and allows me to trust him that way. The next thing, God's word changes me as it stimulates my growth, it stimulates my growth, my, my, my spiritual growth. It, so it, the, the word recreates my life. It eradicates my guilt, activates my faith. And then as I start pursuing Jesus, it stimulates my growth. Acts 20, where Paul says to the people in the city of Ephesus, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. Real quick, I want you to note that, which can build you up. The, the word of his grace, which can build you up. That's stimulating my growth. Wanted to point that out real quick. The word, so the word can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what, so what does that mean? Give an inheritance among those, all those who are sanctified. Well, you, you know what an inheritance is. Right? An inheritance is what you get for being part of a family that's rightfully yours. 
That's what an inheritance is. So let's just say your father was Warren Buffett, all right? Super rich dude. And your father, Warren Buffett, he writes a will and he passes away. And you had a good relationship with your father and you should know for a fact that you're in that will. But what if you never, ever took time to read that will? You never took time to look into it to find out what your father had left for you and intended for you. I think that the technical term for someone like that is um, stupid. Uh, <laughs> because you would not be getting in on all that was rightfully yours. Right? You would not be benefiting from that which belonged to you as a child of Warren Buffett. You would not be able to enjoy the blessings of the Buffett family because you don't even know about it. You don't know what's in it for you. You don't know what's rightfully yours. You don't know all that could have happened and has been intended for you. So when you, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you put your life in Christ's hands, when you trust him for salvation, you're not just a believer. You become a part of God's family. And there are family responsibilities, of course, but there are also family privileges, family blessings. You, the Bible says, have an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance that you're going to gain from God, and not just here right now on earth, but eternally in heaven after. So, but what if you go through your entire life not knowing the power the opportunities, the blessings, the benefits that are all available to you as a child of God. You never even took the time to know what they were. The technical term for that, I believe, is a waste, a missed opportunity, something that could have been. Because God says, I want to stimulate your growth, and I want to give you the inheritance that you have as my child, but you have to grow into it but then you will have what I have intended for you, what rightly belongs to you. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We looked at these verses a little bit last week. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, notice these four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, and here's the purpose of the Bible, so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of the Bible is to help you live out the purpose that God has for your life. And Paul says the way that God gets you ready for life, the way that God gets you ready for his purpose is through the Bible. And the Bible does four things. He says it's for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And we're, we're going to walk through those real quick. Let me explain in a, in a little bit different way. So teaching is when God shows me the path to walk. God says, here's the path that you are going to walk on. That's, that's teaching. Here it is. Walk this way. And then rebuking is when God shows me <clears throat> how I got off the path. Because sometimes we open our eyes and we realize like, oh man, I was supposed to be over there the whole time and I'm over here in the ditch instead. So instead, God is saying, you're off the path and this is how you need to get back. That's rebuking. And then correcting is, is how I get back on the path. Correcting is God saying, all right, here you go, walk this way, get back to where I asked you to be, this is the right path for your life. And then training is how I stay on the path. Training is how I stay on the path. So teaching shows me where to walk, rebuking shows me how I fell off, <laughs> correcting shows me how to get back, and training shows me how to stay out of the ditch. That's the way that, that the word of God helps me grow. 
God uses his word to change me. He recreates my life, eradicates my guilt. He activates my faith, and he stimulates my growth so I can grow into all that he called me to be. Next thing, God, God's word changes me as it illuminates my mind. As it illuminates my mind. So how does it work? How does God turn the light on? We're going to look at a lot of scripture in Psalm 119 because it's all about the word. And there's some beautiful verses here. So Psalm 119, 130 says, Understanding your word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. And I want to explain that. Ordinary people doesn't just mean the few or there are some who understand it. Or it, it, it really means everyone. To, to everyone, old and young and everything in between. And it's for every situation, relationships, families, and careers, dealing with death and hardship, joy and plenty. God wants to show us what we should do and where we should go. The next question should be how. How does he turn the light on? How does he turn the light on in our lives or in my, in my mind? And some of you, you may have opened the Bible and you thought, yeah, I don't get it. That didn't make any sense to me at all. I don't understand it. Fair enough, but we, we want to gain understanding immediately. That's where we run into our problem. We want to open it and go, great, this is what's next. Awesome, and just move on. But more often than not, the light dawns on you as it comes slowly. And the way that it does that, Psalm 199, or 119, sorry, verse 99 here, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I, thank you, on your statutes. Note that word, meditate. Because meditation can be the key to turning the light on many times when you soak your mind in the Word. And it's important to note, meditation is not losing your mind to the universe, right? It's not just letting anything come and go. It is instead focusing your mind on the Word of God. And this is so that God can turn the light on in our lives. That's what He wants to do in my life, and that's what He wants to do in your life. And when you do this, God helps you to see things with a different perspective, Right, so, so the light's on. What's next? Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He turns the light on so that we can have direction in our lives, a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. And when, when this was first written, right, the, the lamp was like a candle, almost like a little lantern thing. Um, now we have like flashlight apps on our phones. So in a more modern way, the word is an app to my feet. Uh, so this is one... This is one of the most important lessons that I've had to learn, though, genuinely. How does my faith in God's Word work in practical, everyday ways? Right? And that's, that, should be, that should be something that we all are wrestling with. How, how does it work out in everyday ways? Well, it's like a flashlight that I'm holding, and it gives just enough light for the next few steps, unless you've got one of those, like, sunbeam flashlights. Those are cheating, I think. Most flashlights just give you enough for the next few steps. They illuminate just a little bit ahead of you. And there have been so many times in my life when I've been stuck waiting for more light from God. Right? What, what I want is, God, would you just, would you light up the whole path, like my whole life? Just let me know what's coming I'll take care of it. If you could give me the next like 20 miles, you just take a break. I'll take care of this. That would be awesome. But God says, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you enough for the next step. And then you take that step and then you're, you're gonna get light for the next step. And then you take that step and you're gonna get light for the next step. God's giving you just enough light for the next step. So you have to ask yourself, what's the next step in your life? Now I can't tell you that, but I know where you can find some pretty great answers. To turn the light on in your life, one of the greatest things that you can do is pray prayers related to God's word, related to the Bible. And here's a great verse for it, Psalm 119, 18. 
Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Law here just means the book, the Bible. But open my eyes so I may see wonderful things in your law. The next way that God changes my life with his word, and this is a big one as well, God's word changes me as it encourages me. See, the, the goal, or, or this goes for a couple of things. It can apply to uh, your mood, right, for example. Because, you know, you, we all have those, those times when you're, you're, you're down in the dumps, you're feeling a little grumpy, you're feeling like nobody cares, you're having a pity party, you're inviting yourself, party of one. That's what happens. It's okay. We have bad days. But then there are also times when we go through tragedy, through pain, through, through heartache and confusion. But you need to understand that God gives us the Bible to encourage us. And how do we know? Romans 15.4 says everything that was written in the past, he's talking about the whole Bible here, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I want you to note those four highlighted words. Everything, encouragement, scriptures, and hope. Everything in the scriptures is for our encouragement and hope. Everything. Everything that was written in Scripture is meant to encourage you. It's meant for your encouragement. It's meant to reveal truth and usher you towards hope. Even the tough parts are there to ultimately encourage your life in the right direction. And the next time that you get discouraged, you feel fatigued, you run out of energy, you're just out of that razzle-dazzle, whatever it is, instead of turning on the TV, try reading the Bible. Right? Instead of a coffee break, maybe you need a Bible break. Uh, instead of Dr. Phil, listen to Dr. Luke, okay? Because this has the power to change your life. This has the power to change your life. That, that's why every day you should spend a little bit of time alone with God. We call it quiet time, but I don't care what you call it. Daily devotional time, my inspiration time, worship time, it doesn't matter. It's just a little time where you get away and you get quiet and you spend time with God and you think about his word and you read his word and you talk to him and you just listen. I believe quiet time is actually something going to be discussed in your small groups next week so you have that to look forward to but a good verse to remind us to spend that quiet time with the Lord is this Psalm 119 14 and I have it in the message paraphrase here it says you're my quiet or you're my place of quiet retreat I wait for your word to renew me. See, the Word of God is meant to give you hope. If you're discouraged and you've, and if, if you are discouraged and you've lost hope, it tells me one thing: you are certainly not in this book. You are certainly not in this book, because if you were, you would not be discouraged. If you were, you would have hope. The Word of God, it recreates my life. It eradicates my guilt, it activates my faith, it stimulates my growth, it illuminates my mind, and it encourages me. And God's word changes me as it liberates my potential. It changes me as it liberates my potential. This is so important because only God, your creator, knows your potential fully. You don't even know your potential fully. Your parents don't know your full potential. Your husband or your wife doesn't know your full potential. Your friends don't know your potential. Your boss doesn't know your real potential. You don't even know the greatness inside of you. Only God knows what you are truly capable of. So you've got to spend time in God's word to get out of the boxes that other people have put you in. And I'm not just trying to say everybody's special, everybody has this. This is genuinely how God created us. Right now, most people 
live for the expectation of others. They live for the approval of others. They worry what other people will think. Your life has been limited by people, by, by, by people who, have, who have lied to you, who have spoken things over you that are not true. And I'm not saying it was malicious. People, some people just don't understand what they're saying or how powerful their words truly are. But they, they still did. And so maybe growing up or even more recently, you've heard things like, you can't do. You'll never be good at. Why can't you be like, you're not going to be. You're not worth. You'll never amount to. Any of this ringing a bell with anyone? You were told all of these things and you believed those lies and you've played them over and over until you, you truly believe them. You don't even know, though, what you're capable of. You use such a small fraction of what God has given you and only God knows the full potential of your greatness, the impact of your life. And only He can unlock that potential because he's the only one that has the truth. Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. It will unlock you. It will liberate you. It will make you able to do things that you never thought you could ever possibly do. It'll set you free. So let me just summarize this. Would you like to have your life recreated after it fell apart? Or your, your guilt eradicated for everything that you've ever done wrong? How about your faith activated so that you'll have more confidence and courage to step into the unknown? How about your, your growth stimulated so that you become all that you were meant to be in Christ? How about, how about having your mind illuminated so that you can make wise decisions? Be encouraged so that you're not just down. And how about having your potential liberated so that the lies have no power over you anymore? Is anybody interested in any of those things? Because I know that I am. And it's all right here. You've got to get in this book. This is why we're doing 40 days in the Word. You're not going to have any of that done for you by your streaming service or your social media, no matter how awesome your favorite podcasts are, the word of God has no equal. So, how do we gain these benefits, these awesome things? We're gonna talk about that in depth over the next several weeks, but let me just give you a preview, something to start chewing on. Three things that I've got to learn. I've got to, I've got to learn it, I've got to accept it, and I've got to do it. And we're going to walk through those individually just real quick here. So the first one is I've got to learn it. I've got to learn the word of God because you can't do something that you've never learned about. So Jesus said in Mark 12, 24 here, your trouble is that you don't know the scriptures. And he, he says this to the Pharisees. Your trouble is that you don't know the scriptures. So follow me on this logic. What you think your problem is, is not really your problem. Your problem is never your problem. Your problem is always your response to your problem. Because you can take two people, and they have the exact same problem, and one overcomes and one fails. One succeeds and one doesn't. Why? That's because the problem is never the problem. The problem is always your response to the problem. Every problem is an opportunity, and it depends on how you respond to it. It's an opportunity for growth. 
It's an opportunity for prayer. It's an opportunity to trust God more. It's an opportunity to develop in character. It's an opportunity to see God do a miracle. Someone once said, don't waste a crisis, right? Use it, learn from it. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, there's a way that seems right to men, but it always ends in death. In fact, usually if you want to know what God's will is on whatever the subject is, take what you naturally would do and then do the opposite because that's usually God's will because what our natural inclination is is almost always wrong. I don't naturally like to forgive, okay? I'd, I'd rather hold on to it, but the Bible says forgive, and so I do it, and I find that I'm set free. Maybe there's something to this book after all. I, I, maybe I think I'll be a great leader by pretending to be somebody else and by bragging and making all of this stuff up about myself. But the Bible says, before honor comes humility. The more that you humble, humble yourself, the more honest you are about your mistakes, the more that people might be endeared to you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The exact opposite of human nature is usually what God wants you to do. You've got to learn. And the Bible tells you how to act in every situation. That's why we come to it. You have to learn it. The second one, I have to accept it. This means that I accept its authority in my life. (laughs) Well, we'll just keep going. Pastor George talked a little bit about this last week, and there are things in the Bible that I don't understand, but I accept it. Right? There are things in the Bible that I don't like, but I accept it. There are things in the Bible that are inconvenient, but I accept it because God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. And it's incredibly arrogant for me to say, I know God that you said this, but I think I know better. I like my way and I, not only do I just like my way, I think my way is the right way and that yours is wrong. How incredibly arrogant of, of me to say to my creator God. So to accept the word of God means to say, God, this is going to be the guidebook for my life, for the rest of my life. I may not like it, I may not agree with it, I may not be popular, it might not be politically correct, it may be hard to do, I may think it's impossible, but I'm going to accept that it's the right way to go. I'm going to make that decision and I'm going to stand upon it. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You've got to believe it for God to work it in your life. So I learn it, and then I accept it as my authority, and then the third thing I do is I act on it. I act on it. Jesus said this in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed since you know them. That's not what it says, is it? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you write them down in your notes. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You don't get blessed for the parts of the Bible that you know, the parts of the Bible that you like. You get blessed for the parts of the Bible that you do, that you act on. So I've got to learn it, and then I've got to accept it, and then I've got to act on it. I have to do it. And when I do that, you know what happens? My life gets recreated. My guilt gets eradicated. I am encouraged. My faith gets activated. I grow spiritually. My growth is stimulated. My potential 
is liberated. All these things happen when I learn it and I accept it and I do it. When I spend time in the Word and I give it to God and say, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to believe that this book that you have given is the ultimate authority on faith in my life. And if you think I'm making any of this up, I'd say try it. Get into the Word. Read it. Try it. And if you think I might be telling the truth or you know I'm telling the truth, do it. Do it. Would you all stand with me as we pray? We're just going to ask God to help us do this, to help us step into faith and help us to just walk faithfully in his word. So Heavenly Father, we Thank you for being here with us, Lord, and for revealing these things to us, for the word of God that shows us the truth. And Father, first we pray that you would do a mighty work, Lord, that you would recreate lives, Lord. And and, and for so many of us, Father, would you just continue that process? Lord, show us that we're not done, that you have more for us, but would you recreate, Lord? And then for those of us that are carrying all this stuff, this baggage, Lord, would you eradicate our guilt as we accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on that cross, Lord Jesus? Would you activate our faith? Father, would you get rid of fear and help us to follow you, understanding that you have given us confidence, Lord, that you have so much more for us than just our fear, and our failures, Lord. Would you stimulate our growth, Lord? Would you build us up into people that are, that are worthy of your name, Lord? Would you show us what it means to be a part of your family and show us how to grow into that, Lord? Would you illuminate our minds that we would read and see the truth, Lord? Would you tr- help us to trust you as we just take that next step in faith, Lord, believing that you will show us the one after and the one after and the one after? And would you cast out the lies? Would you liberate our potential, Father, as we step out of the boxes that were placed around us and we step into everything that you have for us? Lord Jesus, would you do what only you can do? We want what you have for our lives, Lord. Would you help us to open our hearts and to accept all that, all that that is? We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Real quick, before we close, I want to remind you, we're going to look at this memory verse for today, for this week. Psalm 119.18. Remember, we say Psalm 119.18. We say the verse and to help us remember Psalm 119.18. So ready? We're going to say it together. One, two, three. Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119.18. You're amazing. Let's worship as we go today.